Today we come to the book of Revelation. For many Christians, this is the most difficult book to read. The vast majority of Christians fear even to read this book. They probably never read it through and even if they did, they probably didn't expect to learn anything or understand very much from it. Alright, so today we'll take a little time and we'll go, take a lot of time actually to go through Revelation because I think it's the most important book and like ending of anything, it's most important how everything ends. It's most important not how you start but how you end and the same with the story, right? The same with the sermon, same with the love story, same with God's story, same with history, alright? So, Let's take our time through Revelation. Now, what does the word Revelation mean? Okay, in the original, it's apocalypse. Sounds horrible, that word. It's a Greek word. It simply means to unveil, to reveal. Okay? In other words, unless God unveils, unless God takes away, imagine there's a picture on the wall and there's a curtain over it and you have no clue what the picture is. There's no way to find out until somebody unveils ah that's the picture right so the same with the book of revelation the word means to unveil unveil what unveil the future okay the end how this world the present world will end nobody will know everybody has their own version but after you unveil it settles how this world will end and then what the new eternal world will look like unless there's an unveiling none of us will have any idea we may bits and pieces your own imagination or even bits and pieces from the old testament that speaks of this great future right or even of the end of the world bits and pieces but you can't put it together until it's unveiled right so revelation really ties up everything the old testament says on the end of the world and of the eternal future okay and the revelation makes it clear it's unveiling of that now for most christians this book is considered a mystery okay now there are two books in the bible that are critical and sad to say they are probably the two books that are least understood and least respected. The first one is Genesis. Now Genesis is not a difficult book to understand. So what does Satan do since it's such a simple book? What does he do? He tells you it is too simple. How can God make the world in six days? Come on, right? It's too simple. It's like the gospel. It's so simple. It's a gift. God's gift of his son. And the devil will say, you mean it's just like that? So simple? So Genesis, though it's so simple, the devil says it's too simple. It's a myth. Don't believe God made the world in six days. That's not possible. All right? So Today, the vast majority, and I repeat it, the vast majority of Christians 
vast majority of Bible schools teach that there were not six literal days. Okay? It's not possible. How can God make the world in six days? Okay. Now, God, of course, made it very clear, and I've taught Genesis slowly, and I hope you read it. Day after day, is evening and the morning, evening, and they were just Bible schools that say, oh, it's not a literal day, it's a, it's a period of time. It's an era, it's an epoch, right? An era has an evening and a morning every day, repeated over and over just to tell you it's a literal day. So the truth is, if you can't believe the first few lines of the Bible, what will you have thoughts of the rest of the Bible? Okay, suppose that. I don't need to make you doubt everything, every line. I just make you doubt the first few lines of the Bible. And then you begin to say, oh, the Bible is just full of stories. They're all myths. And maybe we can learn some moral lessons from these myths. Okay? They were not real stories. There was no Adam. There was no Eve. Right? How can Adam and Eve live through six literal, you know, I mean, uh, all these kind of things. Okay? So, people begin to doubt. And then what happens is, the rest of the Bible is just moral lessons and Sunday school becomes moral lessons and you go to church for moral lessons. Not, not much different from Aesop's fables or the Chinese stories. We know are probably all myths, but anyway, they're good lessons to learn. The second book the devil will want to attack is Revelation. He doesn't say it's myth. He just says it's mysteries. It's so hard to understand why bother. It's not for you. It's for scholars. Let the scholars figure out what all those strange things are and let them debate about it. Let them draw charts that we we'll, we'll listen to on, at our church camps or whatever. And it's just for curiosity. You want to know what happens next. It's like you go to a fortune teller to know what happens in the future. You know, Revelation's just like that, okay? For scholars to debate about and no big deal to us, okay? So that's the two things. Of course, we know Revelation was not written to scholars right from the beginning. It says it's written to seven churches in Asia, all right, seven real churches with real people in it, many much simpler than us, many with much less education than us, definitely less theology than we have, and was written for them. And they understood it, obviously. God didn't write something they couldn't understand. So it's not some mystery for scholars. It is a book for all Christians, all right? Now, so why does Genesis and Revelation get attacked so badly? Because Satan, who is behind everything, in Genesis, it shows how he has gained control of the world. Okay? And in Revelation, it shows how he, has, he is going to lose control of the world. Now, as we have said before, Satan always likes to work behind the scenes because he is called the deceiver. The deceiver never comes up front. I mean, I am a deceiver. I like to do things through others, right? To deceive you. 
So he never wants to be identified. When people say, oh, there's so many problems in the world. He doesn't want to be the one who is the source of the problems, which he is. Right? So we blame the politicians, we blame the systems, we blame everything except the source. Okay? So Genesis, he says, ah, don't believe the six literal days, don't believe the serpent story. For goodness sake, it's just a moral lesson there about good and evil. That's it. There's no real serpent. In Revelation, the same. Okay? He doesn't want you to know that. He is real because he's mentioned there lots. Okay, not mentioned a lot in the whole Bible. You know, between these two, not mentioned a lot. You'd be surprised. Okay, he's mentioned, but not a lot. But in these two books, he's clearly identified. That's why he doesn't want you to understand these two books. Okay, and that's why most Christians have such a weak respect for the Bible because it's a story book, and worse still, it has no ending because you don't know revelation there's no ending <laughs> all right what kind of story is this but christian suffering 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 all the time you know and then one day we go to some vague place called heaven and we sit up there and get bored you know playing our harps sitting on little clouds can you think anything more boring than that how for eternity you're going to sing little songs sitting on a cloud by yourself you know that's ridiculous okay what kind of heaven is that, right? Sounds like torture to me, okay? You ask me to go and sit on a cloud by myself. I can't even sing properly, right? So let's look at this book. Is it something for scholars? In Genesis chapter, uh, sorry, Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. Let's look at it. And that's, I think, useful for us to see whether we should even bother with this book. It says here, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Okay? Very few books have this kind of blessing. In fact, no other uh, book of the 66 books in the Bible have this blessing. You're blessed if you read it aloud. Okay? But if you can't read aloud, at least hear it read aloud. So I hope that's important, that's important, not just read, okay? Read aloud. Now, how many of you have even read the Bible aloud, let alone Revelation aloud? Most of us study the Bible, all right, in very great silence, okay? okay so how many of you even heard the Bible read aloud? Maybe it's in the church, five verses, ten verses. No, it's the Bible, I'm asking you. Bible, B-I-B-L-E, right? Genesis to Revelation. Okay, very few. We almost feel guilty. Let me tell you, blessed are you in this book. If you read it aloud or you can't read it aloud, you've got a sore throat or you've got uh, some problem there, listen to it being read aloud, okay? And you will be blessed. Next, notice you keep these words. It's not just for reading, it's not for curiosity, it's for being kept, right? For very important purposes, okay? Let's look at some of the benefits that are obvious. Number one, it gives you the right view of history. Now, right now, if you look at history, it always seems the bad guys win. The good guys seem to be bullied left and right. History seems to show 
a very immoral world where evil pays. It's good to be crooked, get away with it. All right? It seems that way. And even Christians begin to doubt. Job and others begin to doubt what is going on, right? It seems that Satan keeps winning all the time. Evil keeps winning, right? This book will tell you to, how to get your view of history, right? The view of history is not what happens, right? The view of history is not events in time. The view of history is a big view of history with a long span of time, okay? It's called eternity, okay? We live in, right? We live in eternity. And what we see is maybe thousands of years of human history. That is very short, okay? You're going to have a right view of the world's history, which is going to span, as far as man is concerned, from Adam to eternity, okay? So it gives you the right view. And let me tell you, Jesus wins, okay? God wins, right? We see a garden in the beginning, Garden of Eden. It looks like the devil messed it up. No, let me see. Let me tell you, if you read Revelation, the garden reappears in Revelation, except it's a lot better than Adam's garden. God wins and wins big time, okay? That's the right view of history. If you go up in a helicopter and you don't look at one little side of things, right? Which we all do because our eyes are very limited. So Revelation helps us. Number two, if we're wrong, it helps us to get the right view of Jesus Christ, okay? For many people, the view of Jesus Christ is a manger scene. For many. Others, it's a dead man on a cross, all right? Sometimes a golden cross or whatever, but it's a dead man hanging there. Either a helpless baby or a hopelessly dead man. Or for some, the view of Jesus Christ is a poor guy, a carpenter, walking around, all right, and being despised. And finally, he gets spat on, he gets nailed, all right, and gets rejected by the world. That's a view of even Christians, of Jesus. Some weakling, right, who is a lamb. Well, that's true. But this lamb is also a king. And Revelation helps us to see Jesus as he, who he really is, not the few years of his life on earth. All right? The few years when he walked this earth. So it helps us to have a better understanding, the right understanding of Jesus Christ. Number three, it completes this book called the Bible. I began by saying the Bible is a love story to be read. All right? It is a love story of God's redeeming love. If you want to put it a bit more human terms to understand, it is God choosing a bride for his precious son. Okay? And in Revelation, we see the marriage taking place, okay? And then, like all love stories, which end with a title, with the ending, and they live happily 
ever after. But in stories, that's a fake. That's not true. Marriage begins life and often with a lot of problems and often not ever after. <laughs> Definitely for many years, hopefully a marriage will last 50 years or whatever, 100 years, <laughs> if you live long enough. But this is ever after, forever. So this is a real love story, not all the nursery, uh, all the fairy tales you have read, okay? So that's the ending of this book. Okay? I hope you see this book as a love story to be read, okay? And with a beautiful ending. It is also, number four, necessary to prepare us for persecution. Now we who live in a place like Singapore or in countries that probably my listeners are listening to will say persecution. Now let me tell you the vast majority of Christians have lived in persecution. Even today the fastest, the, maybe the biggest national church is China. They live in severe persecution. All right, It's probably the biggest church. The fastest growing churches are in the Muslim countries and they live in persecution. And many Christians live in minority situations. Many Christians live in totalitarian governments under and they live in persecution. And this book is important and vital to them to prepare for persecution all right, and later we'll see how it does so, okay? And then lastly, it is an incentive for us to live right now in this world because there will be a new world. We're not going to sit in heaven and play our little harp, you know, and sing songs. You don't need, you can be obese and sloppy and, and have be, men, have be mentally uh, 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 untrained. Just sit there and sing to yourself forever. No, no, that's not eternity. Eternity is a new heaven and a new earth, right? Just as God made the Garden of Eden and God told Adam to and Eve to tend the garden, he made the garden with great potential, but Adam and Eve were to maximize and bring that potential to its fullest for, e for eternity, so to speak, right? That that was thwarted by Satan, but it will be restored. So are you ready to be part of the new earth, earth, right? Where things take place, where your brain needs to be working, where your body needs to be working, all right? A new body, resurrected body, but still your body, okay? Right? It's still you, right? I'm going to recognize you. I may take a little bit of while because it's going to be an improved version of you, but it's still you, okay? Your new body is not some import from somewhere. It's an improvement, okay, of your existing body. Just as they recognize Christ, they will recognize you, and I will recognize you, you will recognize me. How are you taking care of yourself now? How are you functioning on this earth that you can function well on the new earth? You say, what are you talking about? We will understand that in a while. It not only prepares Christians for persecution, more important, it prepares Christians for the new earth, E-A-R-T-H, where real things take place, okay? Now, 
Okay, who is this guy called John? He's probably the Apostle John. He's a very old man at this time. He's the only Apostle left. Every one of his other Apostles have been martyred. And I'm pretty sure John knows that. Right? He also is living under persecution, but he's still alive. He's the only Apostle to, who will die a natural death. Okay? Now he's on the island of Patmos. It's a penal island, right? You've heard, you know, uh, Alcatraz in, in America, a little island so very hard for prisoners to escape, right? All prisoners try to escape. It's an island in the middle of nowhere. You escape to where? To the sea and get eaten up, right? So he's there for being faithful, for, de for not denying his Lord Jesus Christ. Now you say, you mean like that only you go to Penal Island? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. The Roman Empire, beginning with Julius Caesar, which everybody knows, who first came up with the theory that the emperor is divine. Now obviously the emperor did not make the whole world. In our idea of God is the God who makes the world. But in their Roman belief, it was the Greek multi-god world, multi-idols. There were kind of idols everywhere, all kinds of idols. And Caesar became one of those divines, one of the gods, plural, all right? So Caesar made himself a god. That's only possible if you believe in many gods. If you believe only one god, Caesar couldn't say, I'm that god. That, that's the kind of bit too hard to accept, okay? Then the others who followed him, Augustus and Nero, and finally at this time, an emperor called Domitian. D-O-M-I-T-I-A-N. You can Google him. He lived, all right, I think he reigned about AD 90 to 95. And he made emperor worship so serious, okay? that there was a certain day called the Lord's Day, interesting, where every person had to go before an altar, and at that altar was a bust statue of the emperor, and you were to throw incense on this burning altar and say, Caesar is Lord. Now, the Christians would not do that, including John. And so, when you don't say Caesar is Lord, you say Christ is Lord, you get martyred. You get jailed, or you lose your head, or you are thrown to the lions, or you are put nail, uh, crucified on a stake, all right? But this went on from the time of Domitian, AD 90 to 95 he ruled, but that kind of persecution continued for about 200 years until Constantine, the emperor, who claimed to have received Jesus as saviour in AD 312-313, around there, right? So, for many, all right, they were martyred, and including the churches that John had supervised in this part of Asia, Turkey, today's Turkey, right? 
John had supervised a bunch of churches and now he's writing this letter, a circular letter, to these seven churches to warn them the persecution is going to get so bad, you better prepare for it. Two ways to prepare, you're going to see in the letter. Number one, get yourself in the right shape. Internally, get fixed. If internally you have all kinds of immorality problems and idolatry problems inside the church and corruption, then you can't stand the persecution. So get right. A warning to get right. Right? And the second was, after you get right, stand strong. How to stand strong? You only can stand strong when you think of the eternal hope. Okay? So you find in Revelation, it's a warning to get right. And he warns the seven churches right at the beginning of Revelation. And then he keeps emphasizing, don't worry. All will work out well at the end. Jesus will win. He is king. The eternal city is yours. The new heaven and new earth is yours. Right? Hang in there. Your, it is waiting for you. Okay? So that is the uh, don't deny Christ. Jesus had said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 32 and 33, you confess me before men, I will confess you. You deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. So he's telling them, don't deny. It's worth it. All the persecution you will go through. So this letter was sent as a circuitous letter, a circuit letter, right? What we call a uh, letter that was sent to seven churches, identifying the problems of each church to help them get right, to be read aloud in that church and listened to by the people and then brought to the next place. It was these seven churches were on a circuit, right? Which John himself had been the circuit supervisor, the district supervisor of these churches. So it was written to real people, this letter, not scholars, not university lecturers, not for all curiosity about the future, how the future will be. No, for very needful purposes, like all the letters, all the books of the Bible written for real people with real situation, but with lessons right that are real and important for all time okay but they were not myths right they were real people <clears throat> so i hope you see that <clears throat> this is something that you will uh, uh, appreciate okay it's not if those simple people in those churches could understand you can too okay and if you think you won't have persecution right don't be so sure in the last days, especially the days we are living in, where there is complete government control because they have all your data, you know, every move of yours, they can even uh, make sure whether you can buy or sell because your number is in this big database. If you're a bad boy for various reasons, maybe now you're bad because you're a criminal, but one day, because you will not acknowledge that, right, the totalitarian leader is God or is a God, 
then here we go again, right? And it's not a far-fetched possibility. Okay. Now, why are the problems? Why do people struggle with this book? There's a lot of apocalyptic symbols. Okay. They are picture images that sound very bizarre to us. Okay. It's like, what is this? This beast, you know? Uh, this dragon and all these kind of things. What are these things? Okay. So when we see these apocalyptic images, or we call it symbols, we freak out. Now, they're not meant to make us freak out. They're meant to help us. Because things of the future, it's very hard to describe. As I have explained, trying to explain to Adam and Eve what a laptop does. You know, how do you even, how do you even explain to Adam and Eve an aeroplane? You know, it's not possible, let alone even a automobile, a motor car, <laughs> or even a motorbike. How do you explain to him? Right? You have to use images he has seen already. Okay? It's so fast. It's like a cheetah running, you know, it's like a, a motorbike, a cheetah, you know, uh, uh, don't, don't quite get it, right? Now, but when we understand that most of these symbols actually were already described in the Old Testament, they're not new symbols. The symbols sound strange like dragon. What is it? In the Old Testament, you already have some idea, a beast, right? Babylon, what does that mean in the Old Testament? You already have the explanation. So these symbols are not plucked out of the air. They were taken out of the Old Testament, which explains them. So it's not that complicated, all right? So as Jesus often taught, like the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like, right? Like this, like that. He uses a parable. In Revelation, God uses symbols, picture images, not stories, all right? to help us understand. Okay. Now, the first three chapters are very simple, straightforward. You don't have no symbols, but from chapter 4 to 22, it's full of symbols, and that's where most people get stuck, right? So we'll start easy. Now, uh, there are 56 predictions I, I told in the Revelation, and actually half of them are in plain language. So already straight half we can understand. The other half are in symbols, and that takes a little bit of explaining. You'll find numbers like number seven a lot of times, right? Seven's completion, God's complete number. You'll find number 12. 12 represents God's people, number 12. Thousand, that's the biggest number in the, their language, right? In, in Chinese, it's 10,000, right? In ours now, we have trillion, zillion, nanolion, or whatever, okay? Now, but that language, thousand means max biggest number, right? Then the number's like 666. Okay? So there are numbers you need to learn a few things. So at the end of Revelation, what do you learn? You learn Jesus is king, <laughs> right? Not baby in a manger, not dead man on a cross, okay? Not carpenter's son, okay? He is king, king, king. He rules over a kingdom that is eternal, right? That is amazing. For these people who are going to read this, it's going to blow their mind because they thought Caesar is king, right? 
And Jesus is carpenter. Jesus is dead, right? And maybe one day we'll get lifted up to some little cloud somewhere. No, he's going to be king of a kingdom, all right? Much more glorious than Babylon or Rome or whatever. And you and I will be citizens there, right? So I hope that this book helps us to get right on many, many counts, okay? Our Christianity has no ending because the average Christian has no revelation understanding in him, right? He's just hoping to get saved by the skin of his teeth to get out of hell and escape the fire of hell. And that's about it, okay, for the average Christian. And then hopefully float in eternity in some kind of non-existence for the rest of his life. Maybe saying hello to his friends and meeting them once in a while for some fellowship, right? And so he doesn't bother to prepare. What's that to prepare? Just float around, right? Okay, so I hope that this book will not only prepare you for persecution, which you may face, but prepare you for the new earth which you will live in for eternity. Are you ready? Are you preparing? Okay? You say, how? You, you, how's your body going to be? How's your mind? What skills are bringing to the new earth? You say, you mean those things matter? What do you think Adam did in the, new, in the garden? Hung around? Huh? With no useful body or brain or skills? What do you think he's going to do in the garden? Walk around every day? Just amble and stroll around? My goodness, my friend, it's a new earth with potentials that you and I will be part of for eternity, where we will work, work that is satisfying, have fellowship that has no corruption, no betrayal, no pain, all right? And just be the maximal being, serving one another, and being served for eternity. Are you ready? Okay.